What's up, everybody? Welcome back to episode 14 of the Four Verbs podcast. Um, today, this episode is a little bit different because Sid and Davini uh, could not make it. So it's just me and Sam, but we try to give you all the content that that we usually give you. Um, it's a cool week with all the all the conference championships going on and all that stuff. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Let's get it. guess me and Sam will try to get into some recaps. The only recaps we have is Georgia Tech versus Pitt and UJ versus Missouri. So I guess we can talk a little bit about Tech versus Pitt. Um, I mean, Pitt won 34-20 behind the running back, Vincent Davis, who went for 250 on the ground. I will say there was some rough officiating. Um, yeah, it's pretty rough. It's, it's probably sure. for the best sit in here to recap that. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people saw that clip of Jeff Collins not wanting to talk to uh, Pitt head coach Pat Narduzzi after the game out of anger, I guess. I don't know. But, you know, Tech didn't have Jameer Gibbs, who's one of their biggest playmakers. Jeff Sims threw another two picks. And, you know, the Pitt defense was just kind of suffocating. So, yeah, shorthanded Pitt defense, too. Uh, they played yeah. without, um, what's his name, Weaver on the opposite end from Patrick Jones, Jr., think he might be second or third in the ACC in sacks. He's opted out to go to the draft. So they, this pit defense preseason was looking like, I mean, honestly, maybe one of the best defenses in the country, still one of the best defenses in the ACC. Um, but they played without uh, Hamlin in the secondary as well. Uh, personal reasons why he wasn't there. They didn't say exactly what it, what it was, but I mean, Pitt's, Pitt's defense is, is really good. And unfortunately for Tech, they just couldn't get out of their own way. Penalties have been an issue. I mean, they, they were able to run the ball a little bit, but like you said, Jeff Sims with the turnovers, the officiating. I mean, usually bad officiating. You think you get a couple calls going each way, but unfortunately for Tech, they uh, they didn't have many calls go their way at all. It seemed like all the bad calls went against them, which is yeah. which is tough, but that's, that's ACC officiating for you. Yeah. Well, brings the tech to brings tech to three and seven to end the regular season because their game against Miami it was canceled, right? It's not postponed. Yeah, uh, Jeff Sims on that final drive of the game, they were down fourteen with right at two minutes left, and Jeff Sims was in there and he he took a pretty good shot. Uh, they think he has a concussion, so he probably wasn't going to be available for this week. Um, Tucker Gleason has already opted out and put his name in the transfer portal. Looks like he's following some, maybe some high school coaches or something to Toledo. Looks yeah. like the likely landing spot for him. Yeah. Um, so basically, as of right now, with James Graham also transferring to Georgia Southern, um, that's he's been in the portal for a couple of weeks. Uh, just announced he was going to Georgia Southern. So Tech's down to to two active quarterbacks on their roster, and with Jeff Sims hurt and unavailable, they 
they don't meet the position requirements at quarterback. Um, obviously, on defense, they have some shortcomings there because of COVID and injuries and whatnot. So, right. I don't think them. I don't think they were going to be able to field a team because they didn't have uh, enough position players at quarterback. Um, but I think Miami has some of the same issues uh, as far as tracing protocols. So I don't think either team was too uh, too fired up to play. Obviously, Miami got. <laughs> got destroyed so they're probably just limping the postseason yeah. if they want to go to a bowl they should yeah. they should have a pretty decent bowl bid but we'll see yeah do you think tech goes to a bowl i mean i guess depending on the concussion protocol and all for jeff sims but well i think i think the biggest thing as of right now is because we have the schedules being spaced out obviously conference championships are normally played the first weekend of um of december uh so two weeks ago was when they should have been played. So instead of having, you know, multiple weeks to prepare for a bowl, it's going to be more like a regular game week for most teams, um, which means obviously one, you have less time to get Jeff Sims back. And two, uh, the other thing that I think is interesting is that um, a lot of ACC teams have already opted out. Virginia said they're not going to play in a bowl game, Virginia Tech, uh, Boston College, trying to think there, there might be one or two more that I'm, I'm missing. But an interesting thing on that is, Obviously, if you think, well, these teams aren't going to a bowl, so there's no TV revenue for bowl games. There's no, you know, there's no revenue in general for the ACC because everyone splits postseason money. Um, but come to find out that a lot of these, basically outside of the New Year Six, almost all bowls lose money. So a lot yeah. of the uh, the money that's split from the postseason goes to pay for the postseason for teams that were in the red um, going to a bowl game. So in actuality – by teams opting out, there will be less expenses, thus less overhead, meaning that the ACC, if the ACC, you have to think the best thing for them is Clemson win, Notre Dame get in at four, and then you put two teams in the playoff, you cut the expenses from the from the bowls that don't make any money, and really everybody actually ends up profiting a little bit more, um, certainly not enough to make up for the lost, you know, revenue from tickets and whatnot, but yeah, it actually – financially it actually works out better for the conferences if, if they don't play in these, I don't want to call them meaningless bowls, but bowls that, you know, don't have any, any financial right. benefit. So. Yeah. Well, while we're on bowls, the latest bowl prediction for South Carolina, if they do end up wanting to play, which everything is pointing they said to. They they have, right? Yeah. Which is everything, everything is pointing to them wanting to play in a bowl game is the Gasparilla bowl versus Liberty versus Coach Hugh mm. Freeze's Liberty team. Hmm. <laughs> so that's an interesting little tidbit, I guess. But I don't know. It could be interesting. We probably – South Carolina will probably get beat because Liberty is good. But, you know, I would love to – you know, I just I just love watching South Carolina football. So I would love to watch get to watch another game. You know, and, and, and say what you want about Carolina and the position they're in uh, as a football program at this point in time. But – I mean, y'all were the only SEC school that voted to play an out-of-conference uh, rivalry game, a game that really doesn't stack up in y'all's favor. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> say what you want about Carolina football, but at the end of the day, at least they want to play. They're about that action. <laughs> they want to play. They're, you know, so yeah, uh, you can at least respect that much. Yeah, I guess we can hop into Georgia versus Missouri first. First Mizzou for a second. Um, there's not much to say about this one. Georgia came out and just hopped on them really quick. 
Uh, JT Daniels yeah. had another good game, threw for 303 touchdowns. They had two running backs go over 100 yeah. yards, while Missouri rushed for a total of 22 yards. I mean, shit, that says that says a lot right there. Georgia out outgained them 600 yards to 200 yards. So the and final I, the final score is not surprising at all. And what's crazy about this game is that I guess it was early in the second quarter. I think it was 14 to seven. Obviously, Georgia got a pick on Missouri's first drive, uh, short field. I think they started like the 23, quick touchdown there, five plays, all runs. So they were they were ahead in this game, and and I mean it, it looked like it could get ugly early, um, but yeah. Mizzou was able to to block a punt. They had the ball on the one yard line. They struggled to get it in, but they did. Um, so. I mean, at that point, I think it might have been a 14-14 game. And that was really when the gloves came off for Georgia right at the end of the first half, obviously throwing deep to George Pickens, who had a monster game, um, very reminiscent yeah. of the bowl game against Baylor last year where he was just – he just took over the game. And they were – he was open all the time. Had probably – I mean, watching the game, he probably had 10 targets or more. I don't know what his final stats were, but I, I think he had all three touchdowns. Just the thing about George Pickens is, is if you can get him on the field and keep him engaged, I mean, in terms of going and getting the football, he's one of the best. There's yeah, there's no sure. denying for that. For sure, for sure. But, yeah, second half, Georgia took the gloves off, absolutely hammered him. Uh, frankly, I've been I've been really impressed with what JT Daniels, uh, I mean, basically since he took over, it, it begs the question, you know, what took so long? Obviously, we talked about it on here, but, you know, maybe lacking confidence in the knee. Um, I will say that that he's he's a bit reminiscent of uh, of, of Matt Ryan in the pocket a little bit. If there's pressure coming, he he does sort of fold up. You know, he's, he's really not a factor. They don't move the pocket a whole lot. Um, but Georgia's offensive line is good enough to give him time to stand back there, and he, he makes it happen, so – yeah, I mean, it seems like this this Georgia team is actually has all the pieces together now. I mean, it's a little too late, but you can't help but wonder what it would be like if this team were the one to play Florida. Absolutely, I, I think against Bama, it's kind of. I a, mean, Bama is just they're gonna they're gonna win. <laughs> they're just yeah, but I think that at the same time you have to look at it. I mean, at halftime Georgia was winning in that game with Stetson Bennett, and then second half he kind of came unglued. So I mean it. Again, it begs the question, what took so long? And, and if you have JT Daniels, maybe not a difference in the Bama game, but but certainly Florida, I think you have a chance. Right. Um, but, you know, again, I think Georgia's, you know, I don't want to say that they're playing for next year, but I think you, you have to be very optimistic as a Georgia fan looking at what's coming back next year, the guys that are just signed. Um, and then obviously <laughs> the fact that they have a they have a quarterback that can stretch the field I mean, really for the first time since since Jacob Eason, and, and we know he, he wasn't that polished as a quarterback, but he could stretch the field a little bit. So, yeah, I, I mean, this is probably as dangerous a Georgia team as there as there's been. And I mean, really, really in a long time, um, because we know what the offensive line is. We know that they're going to have a stable of running backs. And, you know, with Pickens, he'll he has to come back. He's only a sophomore, so he'll be back. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Number seven, I can't think of his name at Jermaine the moment. Burton. Escapes me. Main Burton looks really good. I mean, they've got Kears they've Jackson got the athletes. Kyrus Jackson, you know, they've they've got the athletes, uh, the playmakers on the outside offensively, and we know the defense is 
I mean, they're really good. They just seem to have down games when they play really good opponents, which is, yeah, you know, it happens. But And, I mean, I'm sure pretty much all of the running backs are coming back. Yeah, I, I can't think of – I mean, I don't think I any, so. any of them would get drafted right now. Yeah, I mean, is – I guess is is Macintosh is he is he a junior? He's a sophomore. He's a sophomore. So that means I guess was that leaves Amir is the only junior. He's probably the oldest guy in the running back room. Yeah, I think he's a redshirt sophomore. And then okay, James well. James Cook is a junior. I guess James yeah. Cook could leave, but I just don't see like he's a good player for sure. But his numbers and his production this year hasn't been where it is, and that that's I guess kind of attributed to how they used him, but. He's been going off these last couple of games, so. Yeah, and I and I think, I mean, I think if you specifically speaking about James Cook, he's he's one of those guys that you can do a lot of different things with. He's actually got good size. I mean, he's he's probably six one, six two. Mm-hmm. Um, he's 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 got good hands. So yeah, when you when you look at the pieces, obviously they've got Darnell Washington at, at tight end, who's a big mismatch. They used him really for the first time all year. Uh, he he was probably targeted as much as he has been. I mean, in the last five or six weeks, just against Missouri. Uh, so, I mean, like, again, you, you look at the offense, the playmakers are there, they have the mismatches, and now they've got a quarterback that can make it happen. So, uh, certainly a dangerous team, and they're, they're, uh, they're playing like they're, like they mean business right now. So, you know, next year's their year, as always, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it always is. But yeah, we can, I guess, you know, a couple short recaps, we can go ahead and hop into questions. Yeah, so the first one, obviously, the biggest storyline of uh, of the weekend in college football is Gus Malzahn, um, eight years as head coach at Auburn, obviously a couple years prior to that uh, as the offensive coordinator. Uh, he was relieved of his duties. Um, so I guess that, that leads to, you know, rumor mill, who they should go after. Uh, as of right now, looks like defensive coordinator Kevin Steele is, is somebody yeah. that, the, is, that the athletic is... department believes in, uh, which is – Odd. Um, I mean, he's he's had one head coaching job at Baylor, where he went nine and thirty six overall, one and thirty one in conference. That was that was in the early two thousands. But I mean, that's yeah, rough, man. I, <laughs> the the only obviously my my memories of Kevin Steele are when Clemson, you know, first started this streak of ten win seasons. Um, he was brought in uh, really at the same time that Chad Morris was. Um, so I think for Kevin Steele, he was obviously a – I think he's a good defensive coordinator. I don't think he's a great defensive coordinator. Yeah. Obviously, my my final memory of Kevin Steele was uh, the Orange Bowl where – what's his name? Geno Smith, Tavon Austin, West Virginia. Um, if the clock hadn't expired, those guys would still be scoring to this day. <laughs> um, so obviously, you know, Kevin Steele was pretty much fired on the plane ride home. Uh, so – I, I guess that leaves a sour taste in my mouth anytime I hear about Kevin Steele. But like you said, it's head just, coaching experience a long time ago was not successful. And he's he hasn't, had a, from hasn't a, really had a chance since. Yeah, and he's he's bounced around from a bunch of different, uh, I would yeah. say, high-profile programs running yeah, their defense. I mean, he was at Bama for a while. Like you said, he went to Clemson yeah. and stuff like that. So Yeah, I mean, he's he's been around the block. Um Frankly, I see him as sort of a, you know, kind of like a must champ in the sense that yeah. when you let him run a defense and he has no other, you know, 
responsibilities requirements yeah then then it's it is what it is um but he you know he hasn't shown to be an elite recruiter uh you really don't know what you're going to get honestly just because yeah. he hasn't he hasn't been a coach or a head coach i mean um but i think the biggest thing for auburn is it's almost like you're you're hiring in-house but if you're going to do that and you're going to take kevin Steele, why let malzahn go you know, I wouldn't say yeah. Malzahn was unsuccessful. I would say that a team like Auburn that has the facilities, that has the money, that has the want to, to be, you know, a top-tier SEC program, they're looking at A&M. They're getting lapped there. They're looking at LSU, who's consistently going to out-recruit them. They're looking at Bama down the road. That's just a juggernaut. Then you got Georgia, who's on their schedule every year, another juggernaut. I mean – you know, Florida's Florida's getting themselves back together. It'll be interesting to see what Florida does with, you know, without Kyle Trask. But, but Auburn is is probably looking around saying, "Damn, what happened to us?" Yeah. And I think that's why you let Malzahn go because you know that you have the you have the capability to be a good team, and you know the want to to be a good team, the fan support, like I said, the boosters, the money is there. So it's almost like Kevin Steele is just a really lazy hire. It's that's, like- that's, that's what I think. And it's, it's, it's crazy how quickly that that rumor has caught steam of the Kevin Steele hire or the Kevin yeah, Steele and replace, I, replacing it, Gus Malzahn because Auburn's a, I mean, they're, they're a program that a lot, a lot of people would want to go to like, right, right. When it happened, you know, you heard oh, yeah. the Billy Napier, you heard Hugh freeze, all that, all that kind of stuff. And it's like the next day they're like, yeah, Kevin Steele, it's looking like he's the guy. Yeah, and I mean, it's almost like if you're going to fire Gus Malzahn, again, I wouldn't say Gus Malzahn was an unsuccessful coach at Auburn. He just wasn't able to get him over the hump. So I think when you're when you're looking at Kevin Steele, it's almost like there are plenty of other guys that are younger, probably more equipped, you know, to to turn or right the ship, I guess. So it's like you said, it's very odd that you know as soon as it happens, it's like okay, well. Auburn's Auburn's serious about this shit. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, well, you know, we'll, <laughs> well, we'll not really. let Kevin Steele run this thing. <laughs> so it's like, why even let Gus Malzahn go? I mean, yeah. you're, you're paying him all this buyout money. Like, are you getting Kevin Steele because the athletic department can save a bunch of money on him? I mean, what? I don't. That's what it seems like. Because, but, I mean, Malzahn's buyout's what, like 21 mil? I mean, that's more than yeah. Muschamps, and Muschamps is way too high. So it's like. Yeah, Malzahn's got, uh, I think it's 21 and a half. He's owed 50% within 30 days of his, you know, release. So oh he's about to he's about to get a fat Christmas bonus, <laughs> never have to work again, and not have to worry about the expectations and, you know, the stress that comes with being a coach in the SEC. So, I mean, it's almost like if you're Gus Malzahn, this is – it sucks because as a, as a coach, obviously you're competitive and you want to – you want to do the best you can. You want the job, but at the same time, when you're when you're about to get you know eleven million dollars for Christmas <laughs> and a bunch of free time, it's you got to look at Kevin Seal and say, "Hey, buddy, good luck." Yeah, you ain't lying. But very, very strange there. Obviously, I would. I don't mean this in a negative connotation because I know we have some some Auburn fans that listen to us, um, but Auburn is is probably not the uh not the squeaky clean program that would that would shy away from Hugh Freeze. I mean, I think yeah. in the beginning obviously anybody that that takes Hugh Freeze is you know, there's going to be a little bit of pushback thinking, okay, well this guy had some 
some glaring faults uh, at Ole Miss. Is that really a guy that you want leading your your culture? But I mean, hell, why not? I think he's yeah. the guy that has proven he can win. Um, whether or not he can recruit the kind of athletes, you know, within the rules is another question. Um, but again, I, I I don't understand why why you would settle for Kevin Steele. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. We'll see. Speaking of, uh, you know, the Gus Malzahn uh, firing, I saw something on Twitter the other day that I, I thought was interesting. Uh, so so Nick Saban uh, was fired from the Dolphins and, and Alabama picked him up uh, in 2007. Since then, Auburn has been through four head coaches uh, dating back to Tommy Tupperville. Arkansas has been through five um, dating back to Houston Nutt. Florida has had four. Uh, Jim McElwain was uh, one of the first ones there after Urban Meyer, obviously. Georgia, just Mark Rick and Kirby. Uh, Kentucky's been through three. Um, Joker Phillips and then uh, Stoops now. LSU's had two with Les Miles and now Orgeron. Ole Miss has had five. Houston Nutt and Orgeron were in that uh, group as well. Mississippi State's had four. Uh, Missouri has had three. Uh, South Carolina, Beamer is the third. Tennessee's had five. A&M has had four and Vandy with Clark Lay will be their fifth. So it's, I guess, indirectly, we're saying that maybe not so that that Nick Saban has forced out all these other coaches, but obviously that's the gold standard. That's who you're competing against indirectly or directly. Yeah. So, but I think, I think something that's interesting about this list is that you see guys that, maybe weren't successful at one place that were given a second chance at another place. Mm-hmm. Almost like Muschamp was at multiple ones or yep. Geron has been at multiple ones. Houston Nutt was at multiple schools. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I feel like the SEC is sort of like a, uh, it, it's almost like you can't coach in the SEC unless you've already coached in the SEC. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the, that's the, that's just a huge problem is like everyone, when, when you are trying to hire a new coach, everyone's looking for that SEC experience, but it's like, that why why is that so necessary? Why does everybody always go back to that? Because obviously it's not that big of a deal. I mean, sure, it's nice to have somebody that's coaching the SEC, but if they've coached and they didn't succeed, then that doesn't help at all. Yeah, and I think I think it's it's that way with head coaches. But I think when you look at uh, assistant coaches, coordinators, it's even worse. Yeah, they it's just, almost like they just get recycled through throughout the whole SEC. Yeah, I mean it's really like a bunch of like a bunch of gypsies just just bouncing around place to place with similar success. I mean, obviously some some places have inherent advantages or disadvantages um, that can be maybe not overcome, but it, it seems like it's just odd to me that that there isn't more um, teams in the in the SEC that that are like you know like Oklahoma. Oklahoma has guys that obviously Lincoln Riley came from within, but at the same time, you know, Tom Herman is a guy that, that came from outside the league. I mean, basically when you look at head coaches of other power five conferences, they're getting up and coming coordinators as their head coaches, not recycled gypsies that have already coached at Arkansas, Florida, Missouri, and and Texas A&M, you know I mean? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just odd. The, the cycle that, that you see with SEC coaching. Yeah, but not, maybe maybe that's why you're you're seeing like two different divisions in the SEC, kind of like a top tier and then a 
than a lesser tier because it's just these 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 lesser tier teams are just trying to get the coaches that leave Bama or that leave Georgia or you know whatever it is and it's like well if you're getting a guy that left those schools then there's no way you mirror that success like the only way to do that is getting a guy from the outside or a guy that that you just you know you're just kind of taking a shot on like an up up and coming guy I don't know yeah and I think I mean I think for Carolina obviously Beamer doesn't have you know experience any, any experience or is, yeah yeah and you know there there are challenges with that but at the same time I almost commend them for kind of breaking this chain of hey we we hired a recycled coach that was at a program that had a lot of inherent advantages at Florida still couldn't win yeah that did that that obviously didn't work but now we'll <laughs> we'll go with somebody that is kind of on the other end of the spectrum we don't really have any any data points on him as a as a head coach or a coordinator to say he can or can't be successful so I again I, I think I think the interesting thing again for Vanderbilt I mean Clark Lay um, is the defense coordinator for Notre Dame he's been there for four years maybe I want to say he started uh, there in 2017 I could be completely wrong about that but I know he was there when they made the playoff in 18 and the consistent thing you see from him is they develop guys I mean yeah they don't have a ton of a ton of talent that leaves to the NFL after three years um, they recruit well uh, you know not certainly not Bama Ohio State Georgia Clemson certainly not on that echelon of recruiting but right I think he is a good recruiter he's a he's a Vanderbilt alum he played there um, I think it's a great hire for them. I, I think it's a really good hire because I think if Andy, it, it's kind of like tech in the sense that the, there's the academic part of it. So you can't, you can't just throw out scholarships and, and recruit like that. You have right. to, you have to really take into account that you're not going to get the upper, you know, the, the elite recruits. So there's going to have to be a lot of guys that are coached up and coached way up. Yeah. So, and I think for Vanderbilt, you have to, you have to get a guy that wants to be there, like Beamer. For sure. You have to get a guy that that is is all about that school. Yeah, and why uh, so, why that's such such a good hire is like you said, he is an alum from Vanderbilt. So I think it's I think it's a really good fit for them. I think they got the right guy. Yeah. I just I just hope that he doesn't get beat down. Yeah. I mean it's a hard place to win at for sure. It's even harder than, you know, a place like South Carolina, which I've which I've said previously that it's a hard place to win at. Vanderbilt is the hardest place to win at in the SEC. I mean, they're Probably just the power five. Yeah. I mean, they're when you just, consider their schedule versus their, you know, kind of obviously the athletic department, they don't have the funds or the, or the want to, to really compete in football. It doesn't really matter to them. Right. Um, so they, like you said, it, it, it really, it's definitely the hardest job to win at in the SEC, but maybe even the power five, to be honest. Yeah. But like I said, I think Clark plays a good coach. I think it's a good hire. I hope he's been distracted. Um, interviewing for that job so you know that is what it is yeah um I was thinking we could probably go into since today is early signing day we could go into a little bit of about the recruiting classes you know for South Carolina wasn't a very exciting day as as early signing day usually is um you know South Carolina signed the guys that they were expecting to sign nothing crazy happens didn't get any flips or anything like that um you know, this class was was already projected to be pretty weak because the in-state talent was just just low this year. It was just kind of off compared to other years. Um, and you know, winning two games and firing your head coach doesn't doesn't help with that at all either. So, 
you know, I think Beamer is going to finish up this class with a lot of transfers. Um, he's been going after a bunch of JUCO guys and, and really just anybody we can get on board before the, before the next signing day in, in February. So, you know. Well, frankly, I think for Carolina, when you look at the, the team recruiting rankings or even you look at the fact that there's just not a whole lot of guys that are signed up right now, I will say I think it's better that way. I think instead of going out and signing a bunch of three-star guys that, that Muschamp evaluated and thought were good enough, I think instead of, you know, holding scholarships for those guys, like you said, you leave spots open, you wait on the transfer market, you wait on the guys that, you know, maybe late bloomers or stock hasn't hit, um, and they're going to wait until February to sign. You try and get a couple of those guys. But really, I mean, unless you have any sort of conviction about a prospect right now, I just don't think it's worth, you know, the scholarship, frankly. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, Beamer said that I think it, I think in a conference today maybe he said that this this class right now, this signing class is small by design because they're not trying to just get yeah. guys in the class just to get guys in the class. You know, you need to have quality guys. We need we're we're hurting on depth on defense. I mean, the <clears> starters <throat> on defense are are fine, but the depth, I mean, you could see that with the last few games, the depth was just not there. So going to Juco and going to the transfer portal to, to get some depth guys, you know, across the line at linebacker, at DB, all that stuff is, is, I mean, it's a good thing. And he said, he's been working really hard on the, on the next classes, you know, the 2022, 2023 classes, he's been working pretty hard on those already. So. Yeah. And, and I think for, for Carolina, obviously, it's it's all about. I mean, there's there's a, a glimmer of hope right now with something new. You're hoping things will change. So I think for recruits, obviously, you know these guys since they've been you know in high school. Obviously, Carolina hasn't been that great, but now you have a new coach. There's some new energy there, right? So you you save you save those scholarships. You try and go out and get some guys that you know you you have a little bit of conviction with from the JUCO route transfers bring in veteran guys that have hopefully played a little bit of football at whatever right. level. Yeah. Um, and then you just, you really just try and get as, as many warm bodies as possible Yeah. Um, for the next few classes, because I think, you know, Muschamp showed that I think Muschamp was a good recruiter, probably not yeah, a great sure. recruiter. Yeah. Not a great talent evaluator, but he was able to go out <laughs> and get some big fish. Um, so I think that, you know, Carolina being in the SEC, there are guys that that's, that's all it'll take an SEC offer Carolina being the first one in the door. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously in-state talent should be a little bit better for 22 uh, for 2023. I, I haven't really seen a whole lot. You can't speak to that yet, but yeah. I think you just, you just leave as many spots open and, and you try and you try and recruit to, to your needs, which at this point I guess is probably defense probably, and then wide receiver. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say probably, especially the secondary, um, yeah, but certainly, certainly receiver as well. Uh, the running back room looks to be pretty good. If you, yeah, can, they're if you solid. can get somebody to block for them, then hey, QB room should be fine. I mean, you're not going to get any like five star transfer or anything like that coming in. But I think what we have with with you know Doty and Helinski, and then apparently Colin Hill's coming back, but there's no way he starts. Nice. And then in the NFL talent right there. And then. I don't even want to talk about the new kid coming in, but, um, you know, we'll see. I think the QB room's fine. I think the running back room's fine. The offensive line, 
they were really they did really well in run block but they just couldn't pass block and I don't know if that's due to coaching or if that's because that doesn't really make sense for all five guys to be good at run blocking but can't pass block you know that's got to be something with the design or with the coaching or something well that's sort of the the opposite of what Clemson has right now and pass protection I feel like we're we hold up pretty pretty well yeah and and consistent but again in running the football we're just not that physical so I think for for Carolina if you got some big boys that are physical and they you know, they're willing to get their jerseys dirty a little bit. It it can sometimes be easier in run blocking because it's more about, you know, just physically imposing your will on the guy in front of you. Pass block has a lot more technique to it. Yeah. Obviously yeah. getting into your sets. And the SEC is going to throw some really, really talented guys on the edge. So it can be it can be a tall task to, uh, to pass yeah. block I mean, when you're I mean, not. R- run block is just like – you have an assignment, you're pulling around, you're hitting this guy, or you're blocking down, you're hitting this guy. Pass block is just, you know, the defensive line can run stunts, run blitzes, you got to pick yep. that stuff up. And just stuff like that, that South Carolina had so much trouble with this year. But, I mean, all well, I guess Sedarius Hutcherson's gone, um, but the rest of the line's coming back. So, the line should be fine. I mean, they're not going to be world breakers. They're not going to be blowing everybody off the line or anything, but I think they'll be fine. Yeah, but, you know how how Clemson's uh, early signing class go? Um, you know, all in all, pretty uneventful. Yeah. Um, we had 18 commits uh, coming into today. Today's Wednesday. Um, you know, by 7:45 uh, this morning, 17 of the 18 had already signed their their letters of intent. We were waiting on Bo Collins. Um, he wasn't allowed to do it until 7 a.m. Pacific time, so 10 a.m. on the on the East Coast. Uh, he sent in his his letter of intent as soon as he could. So basically, the hay is in the barn for Clemson. Uh, that's sort of become the norm. We have everything in place, and we're chasing a couple of big fish down the stretch. Um, at this point, Corey Foreman and and uh, Tristan Lee are the two oversigned candidates. Uh, I I would be shocked to see either of those guys uh, wind up at Clemson. Um, but obviously, I think one of the uh, the interesting things is that offensive line depth has been an issue. We had a really big class of offensive linemen last year, uh, signed three of them this year, uh, Marcus Tate, Dietrich Pennington, uh, and Ryan Linthicum. So Linthicum is from the same high school as Brian Brissey. He's a natural center, uh, not a very big guy in terms of height, uh, but he's stout, he's physical. Uh, Marcus Tate is a, is a pretty highly rated guy uh, out of South Florida just a mountain of a man. I think he's 6'6", 290, a really, really big guy. Uh, He's got, he's got pretty good feet. Um, It'll be interesting to see kind of offensive lines a really developmental position. So I think the more uh, big athletic bodies you can get, the more chances you'll have of of hitting on one. I wouldn't say that anybody in this class uh, outside of Barrett Carter to me feels like a sure thing. You know, last year with all the five stars, I felt like Brissy, Miles Murphy, um, you know, guys like that were, we're pretty pretty much surefire bets to be good players. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't necessarily see a ton of superstars, but I do see a, a ton of functional football players that, you know, most other schools would be would be more than happy to get. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I found interesting is that obviously Barrett Carter is is rated um, or ranked as a linebacker. Well, we signed him as a safety, um, which was a little bit 
surprising, but not surprising in the sense that he was recruited, you know, now with the way that, that with the offenses are going, with the spread and RPO games, you need to have big guys that can run sideline to sideline and strike. The more guys you have like that, that can play, you know, multiple positions in the back seven, the better off you'll be. Obviously Isaiah Simmons is, he's the guy that anytime we have a, a guy that can has a little bit of positional versatility, we we sell him on the idea of being Isaiah Simmons. Yeah. And that's really the thing that's coming with Barrett Carter. He's he's very, very fast. Watching him play linebacker, it's it looks like Roquan Smith. I mean, sideline to sideline, lighting people up. He's he's just physical against the run, but he's also very he's he's got good feet. He has he's able to flip his hips and run. Uh, obviously, you don't see a ton of coverage snaps on his on his highlights, but but in camp settings, he's he's shown that he can do that. Um, so that's that's pretty much what we're looking at. He's going to play strong side linebacker, um, but he's kind of the way we use Trenton Simpson right now is mm-hmm. in that that kind of flexed out edge rusher position. But he'll also play um, a little bit in coverage. I think Barrett Carter is going to be kind of the Isaiah Simmons, not so much at the line of scrimmage, um, more so playing the second and third level. Um, but I think I, that dude, he, he's a grown man. Um, I've, I also feel like the other linebacker we signed, uh, Jeremiah Trotter Jr., you might recognize the name. His dad played for the Steelers a long time, four or five-time pro bowler. Uh, obviously, the the bloodline is there. And and really, I think when you look at traditional linebackers, Clemson plays with a, the Mike linebacker and Will linebacker. Those are your two, I guess, true linebacker positions. Um, in the sense that, you know, we're not looking for guys that, that can, you know, really run. Obviously, it's it's good if they're fast, but we're not necessarily looking for burners. We're looking for guys that are big and physical, run fits, um, diagnosing plays. Um, I mean, you look at our linebackers throughout the past. I mean, really, since Brent Venables has been there since 2012 or 2013, you look at our linebackers, we're looking for big guys that will thump you and run game, run support. And Trotter is exactly that. I feel like you know, he, he plays against good competition, but at the same time in Pennsylvania, uh, it's sort of the, the prep leagues. So they do play mm-hmm. some uh, out-of-state teams uh, in the Maryland, um, you know, Boston area. They'll they'll go and play some of those teams. So the competition level is there, um, but I don't feel as sold on him as Barrett Carter, but he, he looks the part, that's for sure. He's a big guy. He's a thumper. Um, and then Andrew McCuba, has, he's the other safety we signed. Um, kind of interesting that you're able to pull a guy out of Texas. He was obviously not able to visit at all. He's never been to Clemson. Uh, I think, I don't know if he's going to be a mid-year guy, but he's going to show up to Clemson uh, and move in and start practicing. And that'll be his first time ever being on campus. Uh, So interesting there. The other thing I will say is that we have a couple of guys that in terms of star rating or or what have you are at the bottom of the, of the commit list Uh, quarterbacks, Bubba Chandler and Will Taylor. Um, Will Taylor is the quarterback at Dutch Fork. I'm pretty sure Dutch Fork has won, I think, three or four state championships in a row in South Carolina, an absolute powerhouse program. Um, he's probably a top 150 prospect um, in, in the major league draft out of high school. This kid can really play, uh, but he's an outstanding football player. They like him at quarterback because we have sort of a depth issue there, uh, but they also like him at receiver. Uh, they've, they've compared him to Adam Humphreys. Just, you know, not necessarily a, a burner, um, but he's athletic, decent hands. Just, I mean, when you talk about a guy that's that's that athletic, 
you can kind of move them around a little bit and have some confidence. And the other one is Bubba Chandler, a guy from down the street from, from me in North Oconee High School. Um, he was committed to, to Georgia to play baseball for yep. a, a couple of years, um, but kind of kind of filled out a little bit and, and was able to put some together a pretty decent junior film uh, as a quarterback. So Brandon Streeter, our quarterback's coach, um, saw some film of him. Uh, the coach at North Oconee is a, is a former assistant to Mickey Kahn at Grayson. Mickey Kahn's obviously the, uh, the safety coach for Clemson right now. Um, so somebody that he knew, uh, they reached out to Mickey Kahn and said, hey, I got this guy that, that's really, really good at baseball. He's, he's sits 92 to 94, right-handed pitcher. Uh, he's, a, he's a really good shortstop as well. Um, plays team elite. He, he bats 400 um, right in the middle of the lineup for North Oconee that has a really good baseball team and always do. Uh, Kamar yeah. Rocker was, was at North Oconee for a while. Um, so, I mean, I think Dabo Sweeney might have taken a chance on those guys as football players, but uh, I think he really helped out the baseball team. Uh, I think Will <laughs> Taylor will probably start in center field. Um, Bubba Chandler is a – I mean, when you look at pitching, this is – he has a Friday night arm. So I don't know if they'll ever really contribute to the football team, um, but across the street at the baseball facility at Doug Kingsmore, I think these guys are going to have a – they're probably going to have a hell of a career. Uh, so Davo, thanks for helping out the other sports on campus. <laughs> um, but again, like I said, I think this is a really solid class. I don't necessarily see a ton of superstars, uh, but I think this is a very functional class. Um, some guys that in positions that we need, um, secondary, Nate Wiggins is the other one, the guy that we just flipped from from LSU a couple of days ago, actually. That all kind of came together really fast. But he's he's from the same high school as ADHRL. Um, he's he's an outstanding receiver, really dynamic, elite long speed. Uh, probably he's legit 6'2". Um, he, he reminds me a lot of A.J. Terrell in terms of watching him go through uh, defensive back drills. He's very fluid, very athletic. Um, I, he's not as polished as A.J. Terrell. A.J. Terrell is pretty much always a defensive back, uh, where Wiggins is pretty – I mean, he's – like I said, he's a really good receiver, uh, and a lot of his tape is at receiver. Um, so. I'm. I feel very good about his upside. I don't know if he'll he'll contribute immediately, but we do need depth on the back end, and I think that might be part of why uh, Barrett Carter is kind of looking at, at playing that you know strong safety, strong side linebacker, nickel. Um, yeah. But again, I think college football is moving the way of if you're going to play off the defensive line, you gotta you gotta have some positional versatility, and I think we yeah. we have a couple of guys that can do that. So. I'm, I'm pleased with it. Like I said, the, the two big fish out there, Tristan Lee, Corey Foreman, I don't think either of those are going to materialize. So we're probably done at 18, but should, should end up being a, a top 10 class again. So yeah. all in all, I'm, I'm pleased with it. A guy I didn't even mention, um, Will Shipley at running back, uh, all purpose back. I think he's the number one all purpose back in the country. It's unique because you, I think for Clemson, we're always looking for home run hitters in the running game. He's got really good speed, but he's also very, very uh, advanced in terms of route running, catching the football out of the backfield, out of the slot. His high school moves him around. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about him because when you look at, you know, if you have a good offensive line, you can really help out your running back. But when you don't have a great offensive line, you need a running back that can do other things like catch right. the football. Yeah. So when Travis Etienne comes in, it's taken him a while to really become a reliable threat in the passing game. Will Shipley can be that 
maybe not from day one, but he certainly has, you know, more has of a, a foundation set, to build yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty dynamic player. I'm excited about him. I think just because of where we are in our running back room, we'll have, we'll have the big guys that can run between the tackles, but he's, he's a little bit different skill set than, than the guys yeah. that we have in the running back room. So, but again, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this class. Um, I think it'll be good to build on because we have a lot of young guys that are playing on both sides of the football right now. Yeah. I guess last thing I wanted to say is with South Carolina's class, I mean, I don't see any instant impact guys. There's just a bunch of really depth guys, guys that are going to have to, they're going to have to develop and take pretty big steps forward if they're going to get a significant playing time at any point. I mean, I guess not at any point, but none of these guys are going to come to campus and just start right away. Um, I don't see anybody that even has a chance of doing that. Um, but, you know, depth is important, too, in college football, as we've seen a lot this year with the COVID and everything. But, you know, it is what it is. I guess, yeah. well, I, guess I guess we can hop guess. over to the overviews. And since Georgia versus Vandy got canceled, the only one is Clemson versus Notre Dame. Yeah, um, probably the best game of the year in college football uh, to this point. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it. Um, obviously, if you want to hear me break down Notre Dame and, and Ian Book, you can go back to uh, whatever episode that was um, and listen to it. So I'll keep this short, shorter. Um, but again, I, I think the game six weeks ago felt very similar to me uh, in 2018 when, when Clemson went to, uh, to Kyle Field to play Texas A&M over there. Uh, obviously, we still had Kelly Bryant, uh, Trevor Lawrence. That was his second uh, game as a college quarterback. Uh, Trevor came in and, and made some big plays, but towards the end, uh, really down the stretch, we, we leaned on Kelly Bryant uh, just because we felt more confident that he wasn't going to, uh, to cost us the football game. But at the same time, in the second half, when we took away that vertical passing game from our offense, we became one-dimensional. A&M's defense uh, really, really stepped up and, and was able to stop us. But the other thing is that, that Kelly Mond at that point was a sophomore. Uh, he played a lot as a true freshman, um, but he had, I mean, really, you can go back and look at it and, and statistically probably one of the best games of his career. Um, yeah. Not super efficient in the first half, but in the second half, I mean, really, just in terms of extending plays, receivers winning the jump ball, third down conversions, it it was, it, I mean, watching the Notre Dame game, I'm thinking, damn, this this looks exactly like Kellen Mond right now because Ian Book was – I think he had 67 yards rushing. He was extending plays. Javon McKinley, uh, to that point in the season, really hadn't been much of a factor. Uh, but since then, three of the last four games, he's he's gone over 100 yards. In those four games, he's averaging 111 yards. <laughs> so since they played us, uh, their passing game, specifically Javon McKinley, has really uh, exploded. So I think I think this time around it'll be a little bit different. Uh, given the fact that we have Trevor Lawrence back, uh, you can't emphasize enough uh, what a difference uh, that kid makes. Um, but I think maybe even more so is the fact that we get Tyler Davis back. James Skowski should be should be close to 100% at linebacker. Uh, Mike Jones Jr. is a guy that we mix in at, at all three linebacker spots. He does a little bit of coverage. Um, he can really run. So I think when you when you look at where we fell short in that game was we won, we couldn't run the ball. So I think with having Trevor Lawrence back, he's going to have to be a factor in the RPO game. I think when you look 
at the way Clemson calls games down the stretch when there's trophies on the line. Going back to Deshaun Watson, uh, the, the quarterback run game becomes so important for us down the yeah. stretch. Yeah. Because it adds another element. It's it's really now truly 11 on 11. Um, <clears throat> and Trevor Lawrence probably isn't as dynamic a runner as Deshaun Watson was. He can run, but though. He's, He's he's got he's a long strider, deceptive speed. Yep. Um. And he, and when you watch him, you know, run reads, he he pulls the ball at the last second. He can really put defensive ends and, and edge guys in a bind. Uh. And like you said, he can he can run. He can he can tote it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, he's not just a. I mean, he is a pure pocket passer. But I mean, he can get out and he can he can get out of the pocket and he can beat you with his legs if he wants to. And it's just that he's smart with it. You know, he knows when when to tuck it and yeah. run when he's got open field. He sees the field so well. It's just, you know, he can hurt you however he really wants to. Yeah, I would I would liken his running ability probably to to maybe like a Daniel Jones. I wouldn't I wouldn't you know, I wouldn't say that he's gonna he's gonna be a Lamar Jackson type of guy where the change of direction is there. Yeah. But if he finds a crease, he can he can really get out there and, and stride it out. So. I think for him, obviously with DJ in that game against Boston College and Notre Dame as two starts, still dealing with a, a little bit of a shoulder issue. So we were kind of afraid to run him. But also they asked Tony Elliott about this in interviews on Monday and, and his, you know, basically saying that statistically at quarterback, DJ did everything you could possibly imagine. But the difference is, is that Trevor has a, so much wider grasp of the offense and what we're trying to do. He opens up things in play calling, but I also think, like you said, he he sees the field really well, but he's smart in the running game. Uh, so I think when you when you look at it and saying, oh, well, well, Trevor can't possibly give you a better game, I think that's true in some senses. But I also think that that just the the way that defenses fear him is a little yeah. bit different. Yeah. You might you might play a little bit more press coverage against DJ. You might show him different looks, trying to confuse him. You're not going to confuse Trevor Lawrence. No. If he throws an interception or makes a bad throw, it's it's probably hit on him, and he'll tell you it's on him. He could probably tell you exactly what he was looking at. Uh, so I think for him, he's going to have to open up run game. Uh, but obviously, I expect I expect Notre Dame to do a little bit differently. Um, you know, looking at at what they've done uh, the last couple of games, I wouldn't say that they've been uh, blitzing more often, but I would say that they've been blitzing and running zone behind it, which is something that we didn't see the first time. It was pretty much man to man, and that's where you saw Cornell Powell really, really come into his own yep. um, with some downfield passing. So I think I think they'll be a little bit more guarded in the sense that if they do pressure him, uh, they probably won't leave their guys one on one downfield. Um, but you're going to have to at, at some point in time. Um, but they have they have a bunch of seniors and grad students in that front seven. So uh, I really I really don't know how much our running game will benefit. But Trevor has to be a factor in the run game, period. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the other one is Tyler Davis getting him back on the defensive line. Notre Dame has had some issues with their offensive line uh, lately. Their center, who I talked about in the in the preview before this, Jarrett Patterson, is probably I wouldn't consider him a weak link. But when you consider what's around him, he's probably the you know, I would say probably the one guy that you feel like you have the best chance of beating. Yeah. So for him, he was out for a few games. Um, I think he's, he's had a, I can't remember what it was. I want to say it was a foot problem when he's, and he's done for the year. Um, and then at right guard, they had a guy get hurt. I think he had uh, an appendectomy actually. So they weren't going to play him unless it was an emergency. 
and he got in the game in the first quarter against Syracuse. Uh, so for Notre Dame, you got to feel good about that. He's, he's played, um, but they have so much depth in the offensive line that they just roll guys in and out. Yeah. Oh, but Tyler Davis playing in that zero technique, he's he's very much like Gray Jarrett. He's got a low center of gravity, he's got a high motor, and he's violent with his hands. Uh, so if there's a guy that you know you're you're looking at a backup center against Tyler Davis, I really think he's going to be able to free up Brian Mercy a little bit more. Uh, hopefully he can push the pocket with Skowski back um, and Mike Jones Jr. and and obviously Trenton Simpson. He's played so much. Since that game, he's he's. I really don't consider him a, a freshman anymore. He's he's seen a lot now, uh, so I think that we'll have a lot of different uh, packages defensively. But basically, you know, we have to we have to bracket the pocket. We can't let Ian Book run around, scramble, drill, and and pretend he's Johnny Manziel out there. We can't do that, or he will beat us. We've already seen that movie. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that I think is interesting is that Tyler Davis, like I said, playing the zero technique lined up right over the center. Something that that NFL defensive tackles are, are doing, uh, they call it <clears throat> a tilted or cocked technique where you basically line up, instead of having head up on the center, you want to line up kind of in the A-gap between the center and the guard, and you want to turn your body at a 45-degree angle. Now, if you're not athletic, what that does is that basically turns you broadside and it's going to get you taken off your feet. Yeah. But if you're athletic enough – Exactly. But if you're athletic and you can get off the ball quickly, you can really split double teams. We saw Boston College do this against us. And I think we 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 might have looked at that and said, hey, we we should we might should try that. <laughs> so I've seen Tyler Davis do it a little bit uh, in the Virginia Tech game. We did it quite a bit because he was trying to to blow up that a gap and get through on some of those run plays. So I think when they they do have a little bit of a deficiency uh, right in right at the center. So I think if if we have our best defensive lineman right over their center playing cocked, I, I think we might have a little bit of success there. Uh, but he's he's like I said, he's got to push the pocket. And we have to contain book. Um, and then linebackers are going to get an upgrade. <clears throat> you know, Trenton Simpson's played a lot since then, and he's he's played a lot at, at Sam linebacker, a lot at edge. So he gives us some versatility there. And I think, you know, really the linebackers again, their biggest job is going to be spying book making sure that they're sound in their run fits and then just trying to help out and, and, you know, guarding the tight ends because Michael Mayer, number 87, the freshman tight end is he's a dude. Uh, so Jake Venables was hurt last week against Virginia tech. I thought he had a, a decent game against uh, Notre Dame, but he, he has some poor run fits. He overran a couple of holes and just wasn't fast enough to contain Ian book. I mean, that's, that's what I keep coming back to. If Ian book extends plays, he will beat you. But if you can pressure him and fluster him, we've he's shown a propensity to kind of, you know, you know, see ghosts where there will be, <laughs> you know, a clean pocket and he'll run out of it. Yeah. Um, so you have to we have to have somebody waiting on him when he runs out of the pocket. Because Javon McKinley showed us the first game, he can go up and make the plays. He's shown you the last four weeks that he is their alpha receiver and he will make the play. Yeah. So um, but in that game, we obviously played without Landon Sanders. He hasn't played since. Uh, <clears throat> Andrew Booth was hurt. So I think we will be more healthy in our in our you know secondary and hopefully have more depth there where we're not relying on third string safeties to come in and, and cover the slot guy with a minute and 40 seconds left in the football game, up seven. Not an ideal scenario. And then finally, it's just how do we get Travis Etienne involved? 
Obviously, the first time he had, I think it was 28 yards on 18 carries. Seven of his carries were tackled for a loss. Six of them were between zero and, and three yards gain. That's that's 13 of his 18 carries where he did nothing beyond the line of scrimmage. He had um, he had a pretty decent game uh, receiving. I want to say he had eight or nine catches for 50 something yards, but really just was not a factor. Um, so we have to we have to find ways to get him involved because we all know that our offensive line has its deficiencies, but we also understand that when number nine has the football, he can take it to the crib at any moment. He's, he's one crease away from shaking a safety and, and, and taking it the distance. So finding ways to get him the ball in space has to be a priority. Um, but again, I think, you know, the first time when we went to South Bend, Notre Dame kind of had a perfect storm. Uh, you know, we, we were playing without some of our key defensive pieces, obviously playing without our starting quarterback. But they played complimentary football the whole game. Um, they won the turnover margin three to one. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, two to one. Um, they made they made us totally one dimensional. We ended the game with thirty three rushing attempts for thirty four yards. Yeah. Uh, Ian Book had a career game, um, and and I think that when you consider it, still took them a drive at the end of regulation to win that game. We were in a position and probably should have won. Um, so when you consider the guys that we have back, it, it, it's it's pretty easy to see why why Vegas has us as a what a ten point favorite or something right yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Um, but my concern is still that Notre Dame is the more physical team on both lines of scrimmage. They are. That's not a secret. It's hard to beat a team when you get beat in the trenches. So it is. I I still have my doubts um, about this game. But it's hard to bet against number 16. It really is. Um, so I think I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'm pretty nervous about it, to be honest with you. Because um, Notre Dame is still a really good football team. For you know? sure, yeah. Um, and I think that I think that when we, when we look at how we lost, it's because we weren't physical on either line of scrimmage. So schematically, there are things that we can do. We're getting players back. We can move pieces around on defense and, and try and show them different things. But at the end of the day, can your big guys beat their big guys? And yeah. I'm just not sold on the fact that we can do that consistently enough. Um, but it's it's going to be a dogfight. It's going to be another really good game. Um, and I'm, I'm just happy that Trevor Lawrence gets to play in it this time. So uh, we'll yeah. be going for our sixth straight ACC title game, sixth straight uh, playoff appearance. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like you said, Notre Dame had to give Clemson all they had, plus a little bit probably to beat them last time with Clemson's key, key, a uh, couple key guys out. And so, you know, with this game, especially, you know, it, it's going to be really hard to beat a team like Clemson with the guys they have and the coaching staff they have twice <laughs> when you've already shown them kind of everything you're going to do. Um, so I, I definitely see why Clemson would be a double double digit favorite, and I see the game kind of going that way. I don't think it, it's going to ever get out of hand, obviously, because like you said, Notre Dame is a good team. They're very physical, and I mean, you know, they do what they do. But you're right; I do see why Clemson is a ten point favorite. Because I mean, with these with the guys back, with the key guys back that they didn't have last time, it's it's going to make a difference. Yeah, and like you said, the the coaching is is a big thing for us because I think with with DJ, I don't necessarily think that he's incapable of running the playbook. So I think it would be naive to say, oh well, you know, with DJ out there, we only had you know half the playbook at our disposal. 
I don't necessarily think that's the case um, because maybe DJ hasn't practiced his play before, but he knows the concept. He knows which yeah. read he's looking at. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that we, we hit anything, but I do think that because of, we were kind of handcuffed defensively and Brent Venables is known. He, he loves to bring pressure. And I think this time we know who they're, who their guys are out wide, uh, Skaronic, number 11, the big, tall, white guy, transferred from Northwestern. He's a really, really physical guy in the air. Go get the football. Uh, Javon McKinley, 88, another big guy. Go, go get it. And then Avery Davis, number three in the slot. He's a guy that made a couple big plays on the stretch. Um, <clears throat> obviously, the long game, the 50-something yarder on that last drive, and then he also caught the touchdown to tie it. Um, so we we know who they are, and they know who we are but they haven't seen it live, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think that, you know, we, we got their best shot, like you said, but I don't, I don't necessarily think that they've, they've gotten our best shot. Yeah. That, yeah, uh, so, exactly. But yeah. again, these, I, I, there's no question about it. These are two playoff caliber teams. Uh, either way you shake it out there, these are two top five teams. Uh, so yeah. it's, it's going to be a really good game. You know, ACC championships over here uh, the past three or four years have really been, non-competitive yeah, you have a good. team come out of the coastal <laughs> that's seven and five eight and four you know it's so it, this is exciting for me just in the sense that this is this is a this is a quarterfinal game for the playoff I mean you win and you're in Notre Dame loses they're probably still in I don't think Clemson can afford to lose and get in frankly with the way that that A&M has finished the season so uh, but should be another really good game it'll be tough to live up to the first one but I, I think it's going to be another good one yeah well, I guess with that being said, we can move into the picks. Um, but as as the listeners know, Divinian said are not here. I hate to see it. Hey, you hate to see it. But anyways, let's get into the picks. <laughs> so first game up, uh, we have Florida State hosting Wake Forest. Um, I don't have the spread on this one. Uh, I apologize for that. But um, it's probably way Jacob, plus 10 or, or minus 10 or so. Maybe I don't know. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm taking Wake right here. FSU is, is a dumpster fire. And Wake, Wake's played some pretty good football for most of the season. So going Wake. Yeah, me too. I'll take Wake Forest here. Obviously, Florida State got a win last week against Duke. But basically, if you haven't beaten Duke this year, uh, <laughs> that's tough. Yeah. Uh, so I have I have more confidence here in Wake Forest. Uh, next game up is is a service academy battle. Uh, we have Army uh, hosting Air Force. Yeah, I don't I don't know a whole bunch about these two teams. Um, Air Force hasn't played. I mean, I think they're three and two. They haven't played that many games. While Army's, I think, like eight and two or something like that. So that leads me to want to pick Army. Um, I just am not really sure about either of these teams. I think I'm just going to go with Army, though, just because, you know, they play more games. They're probably a little bit more in stride. So, Yeah, Army's actually a pretty good team. Uh, last week against Navy, won 15-0. Uh, Army's defense obviously gave up zero points. They had a safety, so they outscored uh, Navy without the football. Um, so, <laughs> given that, I, I – I, I don't have a lot of confidence here in Air Force. Um, next game up, we got a, a consolation prize in the SEC West. We have Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss hosting LSU. I think this is going to be a good game, honestly. LSU coming oh, off yeah. that that upset at Florida. They're looking pretty good. I mean, 
you know, it is what it is. LSU hasn't been hasn't been super great, but they did beat Florida and Ole Miss is a really, really powerful offense. Obviously their defense is has a bunch of holes in it. Um, but I think this is gonna be a pretty high scoring game. I would agree. I I I kind of want to go with Ole Miss here, even though I know that's also who you're picking. <laughs> but I think Ole Miss can just outscore most teams that they play, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think it's I think it's gonna depend on which Ole Miss team we see. Uh, true. Um, and Max which Johnson, which LSU team we see. Oh, very, very true. Uh last week they started uh, freshman quarterback Max Johnson. Um, he's the son of Brad Johnson, who was a Super Bowl champion quarterback for uh, John Gruden and the Buccaneers in the early 2000s. Um, he's a lefty. He's yeah. a guy from Oconee County, uh, right down the road from from me. Um, he's a he's a good player. I mean, he looked really good last week against Florida. I don't know if that's a letdown game for Florida, um, but I I just don't have any confidence in LSU. I would feel bad picking a team that I hate. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to take Ole Miss here. Like you said, I think this is going to be a high scoring game. Uh, and I feel like, I feel like Ole Miss probably, probably stacks up better in a shootout. So I'll, I'll take Ole Miss here. Yeah, I agree. So now we get into the conference championships. Um, if you even want to call this a championship game, you know, a lot of uh, these conference championships are actually pretty, pretty easy picks, I think, but you know, <laughs> I agree, but, but nonetheless, uh, Ohio state, a 21-point favorite against Northwestern. Uh, I would, I would, I think we can both uh, go on record as saying that three touchdowns would probably be a pretty modest game for for Ohio State. I think yeah. three touchdowns is probably about where I'd put it. Um, I don't, I don't think Northwestern has much of a chance here. Yeah, I agree. Northwestern is is gonna have a bad day. So, yeah, um, especially because Ohio State has something to prove. Um, but yeah, we'll, they're still trying we'll to get, get into the, that later. Uh, they're, try, they're still trying to get into the playoffs, so they're probably going to come out and just go crazy. Yeah, style points matter for Ohio State right now. Um, <laughs> so next game up, Iowa State is the home team here. Uh, Iowa State against Oklahoma. Uh, the Sooners are a five-and-a-half-point favorite here. Uh, obviously, this is a rematch. Ohio State – excuse me, Iowa State uh, won this game earlier in the season. Um who you got here? I think I mean I think I got to take Oklahoma here. You know I feel like I feel like Oklahoma hasn't played in forever. At least I haven't watched. I don't even know when's the last time Oklahoma played. I know they didn't play last week. I know their game last week was uh, was canceled. I feel like they haven't so. played in, in quite some time. They're probably ready for this game. Got a bad taste in their mouth. So I see Oklahoma um, pulling this one out. Yeah, I'm with you there. I, I think the first time these two teams played, um, we we really found out who Brees Hall was, the running back for Iowa State. He leads yep. the nation in rushing yards. Uh, so we know what he is now. Uh, but I think we've also seen a lot of development from Spencer Rattler. I don't think he's quite as uh, reckless with the football as he was early on in the season. Um, he's made a bunch of big-time throws down the field. Uh, but he's also he's also been able to stay away from the turnovers for the most part. So I think – when you combine the fact that Oklahoma probably should have won the game to begin with, and they have a quarterback that's playing, you know, much better now, yeah, better football. Uh, it's, it's hard not to take the Sooners. So, yeah, I mean, I think the whole Oklahoma team has, has grown a bunch over the season, to be honest. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't really know the the ins and outs of the roster, but 
seemed like they were not really clicking together at the beginning of the season. And I think, I think they probably fixed that by now. So. Yeah. Like I said, obviously Rattler is cleaning things up. They were able to get number 29 back. I can't think of his name. He was the guy that was suspended for the first, I think four games of the season. He's a beast. (laughs) He's a bowling ball. Next game up uh, another rematch uh, in the Sunbelt. Coastal Carolina is a four point favorite against Louisiana. It's hard (laughs) not to take Coastal right here. Coastal has been winning all the games that that they've had, and you know, against some really good Sun Belt teams too. So, I gotta I gotta go with Coastal here. And I guess side note, Jamie Chadwell, their coach, just got signed to I think a seven year deal at Coastal. Oh, so it looks like he's not going anywhere for a while. But yeah, I'm taking Coastal. Yeah, I'm with you here. Um, I think ultimately what we saw last week from Coastal against Troy, they sputtered a little bit. Um, but what we found out is that when you have a really good quarterback, you're tough to beat. And Grayson McCall, their quarterback, is a freshman, but he's a heck of a player. Uh, he can really spin it. Uh, so I think when you have close teams, it, it, it's hard not to take the one that has a better quarterback. So, so give me Coastal here for the perfect season to stay intact. Yep. So now we get into uh, we get into the Clemson-Notre Dame game. Uh, Clemson's a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. As of Tuesday, Notre Dame is going to be the home team here. Uh, but, but like I said, Clemson's – we broke down this game a little bit. So, who you got here? Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's – it's again, it's hard not to take Clemson here with – you know, you look at the last game, Notre Dame had to, again, give Clemson all they had to win that game, even with Clemson being, you know, without a few key players, especially, you know, probably the best quarterback in the nation – uh, Trevor Lawrence, as hard as that is to to say, um, but I think I <laughs> do think it's true. I do think Clemson comes out of this game with a win, and I I don't think it's you know I don't think it's super close. I think you know a double digit win is 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 likely. I hope you're right. Um, as as Sid would say, you never pick against your squad. <laughs> yep. So I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, now we have another game. Uh, for the American Conference, um, we have Cincinnati playing Tulsa. Now, Cincinnati hasn't played since the middle of November. I think Tulsa, I can't remember when the last time they played. They went like a month and a half without playing during the middle of the season. So these are going to be two teams that haven't played in a while. Or at least Cincinnati hasn't played in a while. Uh, but Cincinnati's a 15-point favorite here. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I know Cincinnati's good. I've watched them a little bit. I really haven't watched Tulsa very much, but you know Cincinnati is undefeated. They're what like the number? What are they? What what did they come out of the right? They're probably nine? Like, they're probably not even ranked anymore. They're they're number nine team in the nation, and I think they're probably they probably deserve a little bit more than that. Um, Absolutely. But, but yeah, I'm taking Cincy here. Yeah, me too. Uh, Tulsa's got a pretty good defense. Offensively, there's not a whole lot there. Cincinnati's been suffocating defensively. Uh, Desmond Ritter at quarterback's been pretty good. Um, they've they've shown they can run the ball. Uh, so it, 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 this will be actually a pretty interesting matchup because Tulsa's got a good defense. Uh, Cincinnati really likes to run the ball. So it could be a low-scoring game, uh, but I, I, I see Cincinnati pulling away. Uh, and last, and maybe least, we have probably the easiest pick on this board, the SEC title game. Eight o'clock, CBS, Bama taking on Florida. 
Uh, the tie is a 17 and a half point favorite. It's probably gone up since I posted this. So, yeah, I mean, this isn't this isn't very hard. I, I think Florida is a good team. They flopped last week against LSU. I think they probably come out hungry, but Alabama is just on a different level than than pretty much every other team, I would say. Um, so you got I mean, you, you got to take Alabama. Yeah, I'm taking Bama here. Uh, really not much debate on that. I will say, um, just as a side note, maybe I should leave this for for once we get into a podcast about the postseason. But I think Bama is on a different level than anybody else in the country right now. I really I think as a Clemson fan, I can I can tactfully say that we are not as good as we have been in, in recent years. Um, just because of our deficiencies on the offensive line, a lot of young guys in the on the defense. Um, I think Notre Dame is a good team, um, but I just I really don't know what kind of firepower they have. And you know, Ohio State, we haven't seen a, a lot of sample size from them, but their defense is really shoddy. Um, yeah. And then behind them, I mean, I guess you have A and M, who Bama already boat raced. <laughs> I, I really just don't see any team in the country competing with Bama. Uh, certainly not Florida. Uh, this Saturday yeah yeah well it kind of sucks because we all we just picked all of the same teams um, but a lot of these I mean most of them weren't really toss-ups if we're being honest um, Old Miss LSU was probably the biggest toss-up but you know I'm not I'm not just going to pick a team just to to pick them to go against you but well, yeah, the mean, good news is is that we're we're both going to gain ground on uh Sid and Divini, so yeah yeah but I mean, I don't even know who won last week. Oh, it looks like it was me. Yeah, you had a really good week. The rest of us, not so much. <laughs> well, um, I don't really have much shit to talk about their teams per se. Um, just worried about worried about this Shane Beamer staff and and finishing up this recruiting cycle. To be honest with you, so that's really all I all I have to say about that. Is there anything you want to throw in since it's just me and you? I mean, not really. I, like, I, I just – I think at this point, you know, I would say I, I missed them, uh, but that would be a lie. Um, <laughs> it's given us the opportunity to talk more, uh, which is what the people want anyway. Exactly. So, uh, you know, just got to give the fans what they want sometimes. Uh, maybe next year this it'll just be us. You never know. <laughs> the dynamic duo. But, hey, everybody, yeah. thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. I know it was a little weird with just the two of us here, but hopefully we brought brought all the content that you wanted to hear. Um, hope you have a great holiday season. Well, I guess we'll probably be dropping another episode next week before Christmas. So, yeah. So enjoy watching the conference championship games. Yeah. Uh, hope hope there's some competitive games on. Uh, yeah. But but yeah, it's it's going to be a crazy weekend. Obviously, the playoff uh, rankings come out Sunday. Uh, so next week we'll have a little bit of clarity. We'll know who's who's in uh, who's in the playoff. We'll yeah, know be what cool goals week. are being played. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. Well, again, thank you and peace.